Hi, I'm Tina Desiree Berg, and welcome to the 34th. This week in the studio, Sean Beckner-Carmichael is joining me, and we're speaking with local journalist Adrian Riskin about the work he does at the Michael Kohlhaas organization, as well as some other uh, publications that he works with. Welcome, Sean, and welcome to District 34, and welcome guest Adrian. Thanks for joining us today. Well, thanks for having me. So Adrian, um, you work for michaelkohlhaas.org, as well as a few other organizations. Could you elaborate on what michaelkohlhaas.org is? No, I mean, it's not really an organization. It's just my, you know, uh, domain name. Um, Okay. So. But why Michael Kohlhaas? Well, uh, it's a novel that I read that uh, really inspired me. Well, I won't say it inspired me. I already felt like that, but it really validated the way I feel about like this kind of relentless and half crazed pursuit of justice. Um, you know, possibly in a way that damages the seeker of justice. Um, anyway, uh, so, so I just like the name, that's all. And All right, no, it's, but it's interesting how a lot of the work you do does correspond with the novel. So I was, I was wondering if that was the uh, reason you used that and it seems that's the case. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, so I wanted to talk with you specifically about something that has gotten little attention that I think might be coming back into the news because of the recent allegations against uh, Huizar, who's been investigated by the FBI. He has been indicted for corruption. Most of the corruption is in relationship to real estate development money, grift. It's been attached now to Eric Garcetti's administration. So I think we're seeing a, the tip of the iceberg on this. But back in 2018, you did some reporting on the Skid Row neighborhood council uh, formation committee. So they were looking at adding a neighborhood council for Skid Row. And uh, part of the reasoning behind that was the voter suppression issues, the fact that the um, unhoused in the city of LA can't vote and they should be given every opportunity to do that. So there were a host of things surrounding that and they ended up um, suing the city of LA. So can you walk us through some of the history on that that you think is important um, what were some of the outcomes, the beneficial outcomes and the things that are still left hanging out there that we need to address and whether or not you feel like some of that stuff was related in some way to the real estate development corruption that we're now seeing. Okay, um, so the the background, as I understand it, is that uh, at some point fairly recently in the last five or six years, the city of Los Angeles passed a law allowing neighborhood existing neighborhood councils to subdivide into mm-hmm. new ones. Um, because, you know, the city has grown and the neighborhoods don't necessarily represent um, the kind of homogeneous, like, interests that they want them to. So uh, so they passed this law and people and activists in Skid Row, um, including Charles Porter and uh, Jeff um, and, and a bunch of others, have been working on getting a neighborhood council for Skid Row for decades, like before it was even possible to subdivide. But they saw this as a chance um, to to put these longstanding plans kind of into place. And so they started following the procedure for subdividing the downtown Los Angeles Neighborhood Council into uh, a separate one for Skid Row. And um, what happened is that the uh, D-Link, that's the downtown Los Angeles Neighborhood Council, uh, absolutely flipped out about this idea, okay? and, and the reason is that neighborhood councils serve as a, sorry, one second, you got to tell me if I'm getting too far into the weeds because- No, you're not. No, this on is this great. one, please get, get like, into the really weeds. hard into the weeds, so, honestly. You know, I think that it, it uh, having an explanation on neighborhood councils is really important because they are the conduit, as you were going to say, with the mayor's office. And although they don't have a lot of authority to actually 
act, do actions on their own, they do have sway. Like the recommendations they make, I think can and do change the course when uh, the mayor makes decisions. So I think it's important for that reason. So please get uh, deep into yeah. the weeds. Okay, so with D-Link, um, you know, other D-Link is very different from every other neighborhood council in the in the city because um, when, when developers want to um, build a project that takes, it's not by right, it has some kind of entitlements that they need. Um, part of the process of, of doing that is getting like community buy-in. And so developers will send their, their lobbyists to uh, neighborhood councils, business improvement districts are also popular, uh, homeowners associations, just any kind of thing that sounds like a, like a, a neighborhood group. They, they send some guy out there to say, uh, here's our project. And then the group votes like for it, they support it, right? So if you're trying to build a skyscraper downtown, but you don't have like some of those supports from organizations, it's not gonna move forward. Um, it, it, it'll cost the council member too much probably. So uh, the, this is why they were so worried about subdividing it because they want to build in Skid Row. That's like, mm -hmm. you know, prime. Right. They see it as a blank, a blank slate for them. That's, that's been a, that's been a tasty project. treat. That yeah, I mean, every council with the amount of gentrification for, that's gone on downtown LA yeah. the last ten years. Right. See, there's yeah. none of those buildings are in Skid Row, but they want. Right. Them. And uh, um. So, so D-Link is like the part of this super well-oiled machine where the developers come in, they uh, make a deal with the council member to give them like, you know, $100 million in whatever public benefit money. Sorry, that's too much. A few million dollars in public benefit money. And then in return, they give them a $100 million tax break and they build their thing. And if D-Link weren't there, okay, then somehow this process wouldn't work as smoothly. Okay, mm -hmm. so they really rely on D-Link, which is totally staffed by developers and business improvement district employees and uh, people, everybody who stands to make so much money off of development. Okay, so Skid Row gets, if Skid Row got its own neighborhood council, they're not gonna approve all these things, all right? The, uh, um, that part of this kind of process is, would, would grind to a halt, you know? They would make a fuss. I mean, they can't stop the projects because like you said, they're advisory, but they can sure make everything look like way worse than it looks now. Yeah. Okay, so I, I think that was really the issue. And uh, they hired Rocky Delgadillo as a lobbyist and Rocky phoned up uh, Jose Wizar and they had a meeting and um, then Wizar pressured or he convinced he got done to, uh, to bend all their own rules, like um, mm -hmm. allow online voting kind of at the last minute and not right. voters re-register, but just take the list of registered voters from the last election who voted online and send them all ballots. Um, they had pop-up polls like outside of the uh, proposed boundaries. I mean, it's just very, very sleazy. And, and Wezar was running the whole thing kind of behind the scenes. Um, so that's like the backstory of that. Yeah, yeah. so what, what became of the lawsuit ultimately? Do you mm. know? Yes. Uh, so look, the, the theory of the lawsuit was that by, by breaking its own written rules and allowing um, these, these voting anomalies, right. uh, the, the city purposely stopped the formation of, of this neighborhood council that their own rules would have allowed. Mm -hmm. And the, the main evidence, I don't know the evidence super well, but some of it was that the paper ballots that were filled out according to the rules were overwhelmingly in favor of subdivision, but the... Um, voting by electronic, the electronic voting by people who didn't ask to be registered was overwhelmingly against it. Um, okay. Right, so so that 
those oh, right so so they went to the judge and they said look they broke all these rules on purpose they changed them after the process started all right and that's the only reason that we lost so they asked the judge to throw out all the votes that were taken by uh, methods that weren't allowed okay which would have given them the election but uh, the judge yeah. that, so he just i don't the legal details are way beyond me but ultimately they lost Ultimately, they lost, you know, and I would imagine also because the neighborhood council positions are also elected, right? I would imagine that that those folks not being able to vote in the neighborhood council positions, those positions themselves is also a problem because now they're not able to put people on these on these councils that actually are serving their purposes. I know in a lot of the neighborhood councils across Los Angeles, you see a lot of the same folks that are in uh, chambers of commerce. So they're using it as I believe in my opinion, the strictly my opinion, as a business conduit. Like they see these positions as prime only for that reason. I mean, they're unpaid positions. Even though they're elected, they're unpaid. So for them, the benefit is that. So it's interesting that you're talking about how they would parade the real estate developer lobbyists uh, through these meetings. That's not surprising to me at all. Right. And and like I said, though, I mean, that, that goes on all through the city, but D-Link yeah. is, is different in that those lobbyists actually are sitting on the board also. It's like, Right. It, it's super tightly controlled in this way that no other neighborhood council I've looked at. It's just because the amount of money involved is so huge. It's huge. And, and I do know that there is, um, I don't have those numbers with me. I, I do know that there is a number of discretionary spending that each neighborhood council is allowed. Yes. Um, do you, does anyone here know? I think it's 500,000, but. No, it's less than that. <laughs> it's like um, in the 30s. It's like 35,000 or something. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, and, and I would argue that $35,000 in that neighborhood specifically goes a lot further than $35,000 in any of the other districts. Um, would you agree with, I know a lot of people say this about neighborhood councils, and I found this to be true. Um, everywhere that that system exists, what you see is, generally speaking, um, neighborhood councils are sort of the first step to enter city politics oh sure um, it could be yeah. would you would you would would you agree that perhaps that could be a concern as well keeping people who are generally speaking marginalized people in those neighborhoods away from higher offices after the city councils would you agree that that's a concern as well i'm sorry so if I understand your question, you're saying because neighborhood council membership is exclusionary to some extent, and also because neighborhood council membership is a, way, a path into city government, then they're an unfair, is that, that's what you're asking? You worded that perfectly. Okay, I sorry. wish I had done the no, same. I'm just trying, no, I'm just trying to understand before I answer. Yeah. The answer is that I don't, I don't really know. I'm not, I don't know enough about neighborhood council being a way into government. I, I think probably being a city staffer is is more much more common but i, I don't it's just an impression either way mm -hmm. okay um, so the answer to your question is that that would be unfair if that's happening but i don't know enough about it to know if it is or not I, yeah well there's been some problem like i uh covered a, a story two now maybe three months ago now on the Echo Park Neighborhood Council where one of the members had a lynch statue on his front porch for everybody to see right after the Robert Fuller uh, incident. And it was really offensive, obviously, to many of the folks in the neighborhood. And when he was uh, called to task on it, he doubled down and defended it. Like he didn't see the problem with it. He was calling it artwork. 
And then he made some incredibly racist comments in, uh, what is that website where everybody, the neighborhood, whatever website, where it's just next, for- Next door. Next door, yeah. So he went into next door and made, which um, I read the screenshots, they were incredibly racist screenshots. He is now resigned, but he wasn't wanting to resign and he was defending his position. So I think, um, I think there's, there's been some problems in the neighborhood councils. Uh, you know, they're elected officials. They, the way they elect them is a little bit different than they do the rest of the elected officials straight ballots. It's more like the way the ADEMs are run. So I, uh, I think there's a problem there. Uh, the fact that they're not paid, I mean, maybe they should be a paid position if these folks are gonna do some real work on behalf of the areas that they're living in, because this is supposed to be more about community representation, right? Because the city of LA is so large, we're with 4 million people, they're necessary if we're going to get all of these areas really well represented in the mayor's office. So there, you know, perhaps needs to be some reform in the system. But, but thank you for sharing me shot, your shot, uh, your thoughts with me on that Skid Row situation because I remember it, and I just remember reading about the online voting and some of the things that had transpired, and and it read like, it read like a fiction. Like how could this even be the case that this was going on? But, you know, here we are. I would say that the thing that you're probably most known for um, throughout the city is uh, the way that you release documents. Um, you are very gifted and you release a lot of city documents, um, many of which are, uh, I guess I would use the term spicy. Um, <laughs> so, is there a FOIA request and what have Yeah, you? so uh, my FOIA requests, CPRAs, and just okay. sort of all of those things. Um, what's your process for sort of deciding how to get documents and what's your process of deciding what to release? Okay, so, um, but first, listen, I do release a lot of spicy documents, but I also release a lot of super tedious uh, yeah. <laughs> technical documents in large quantities on my archive.org site so <laughs> you, you want to see like I, I, like 50 gigabytes of uh, film permits okay like that's where you go okay um, but uh, so so it's a conscious decision I mean the main point of my my blog and everything is to get those records out there I just want to I want to publish them and I I do write about them but I'm not uh, I'm not like you know a professional writer I'm not a great writer um, I write run-on sentences and I write really fast and don't revise um, because I see the writing part is mostly a way to just like draw people in so that they'll look at the documents and kind of realize the power. This is my main goal is to just show show people the power that uh, mm -hmm. records laws can, can give them. I mean, you can do like these amazing things. And uh, so I see like my opinions or, or whatever about the stuff I publish as, as very secondary. Um, oh, and that's why I also, that's why I publish everything, because like no matter what ridiculous stuff I say about it, like nobody has to take my word for it at all. There's the, the evidence is right there. So right. people who disagree with me or think I'm a moron or whatever, it's like, you know, that's fine. <laughs> but but the same having way. access to those documents is, is a value in and of itself. Absolutely. It's a huge, hugely valuable. So that that's um, why I do it that way. And, and let me just say that I have probably used your documents as a source more than any other organization or any other reporter. Um, particularly because uh, you released the raw data. 
um, which is so important. And oftentimes, you know, I can go kind of going, go through your website and I can go, okay, what is the background behind something that may not even be something that you specifically are reporting on, but oftentimes if I want to pull a file, uh, more, this has happened several times where you already pulled the file. It's somewhere on your archives. And, and I just want to say, I don't, I don't think people thank you enough for that. Mm -hmm. And you're also posting these documents on the Prelinger archives. Is well, that okay. right? Sorry, no, Prelinger is one collection on archive, the internet archive. It's a, okay, but that's okay. I'm like another one. So gotcha. me and Prelinger are, are peers, but you know, not really. Um, yeah. So I guess the question is, how do you get all those documents? Well, I just ask them, I ask for them, you know, I make requests. But lots uh, of people ask for them and they don't get them. What's your secret? Well, my secret is, uh, yeah, I want to quote Bethel Wilson, who's a deputy city attorney, and he is uh, high up in the staff of their CIPRA unit. Sorry, CIPRA is CPRA, public records, California public records. So uh, he's the one that like has to deal with my lawyers. And usually he just settles, but recently he wrote a reply brief, okay, before we settled. Um, and in the reply brief, he called me a force of nature when it comes to CIPRA because I won't <laughs> take no for an answer, which I feel like is a compliment, although I think he was trying to- I would also agree that that's a um, That is a compliment. Going back, so what is what is this brief exactly? What, what does it entail? That's not interesting, listen, believe me. I, okay. I'm not trying to hide anything. I'll send you a copy, but it's weird. Okay, it's got it. Okay, it's technical. It's something only a FOIA geek would love. Right. I, I, I'm probably going <laughs> to, no. my girlfriend is probably going to be really frustrated because I'm probably going to be reading it in bed tonight if you do send it to me, just so you know. What is some um, of the more interesting um, California public record documents that you've received? Uh, oh my God. Or to I use Sean's words, what are some of the more spicier? They are. Some of them are just, they're spicy. You look at them and you're just like, ooh, that's a story later. Right. I mean, I, it's, it's hard to tell. I mean, that, that Skid Row Neighborhood Council thing was, was huge because uh, some friends of mine told me about it. And I ended up getting these emails that, that proved that business improvement districts were coordinating the effort. And uh, I think that would have gone un, unseen if I hadn't gotten those emails.